I feel obligated to fight for uh, my community, my friends, um, my parents, uh, because we're all Americans. I have a passport, American passport, but for some reason this president doesn't, doesn't want to treat all of us equally. Hey everyone, Blake here at Stuist Media in Munich, Germany, and this is the Resistance Companion Podcast. Back in January of 2017, we went to Washington, D.C. during the week of Trump's inauguration to capture what was happening on the streets with the mass protests that happened, but also to interview leaders of these different movements that had brought all their people down to Washington that week. The footage would eventually become a web series that we called Resistance. To check the series, you can go to our Vimeo channel at vimeo.com slash Media. When we're putting together the series, we always have to make decisions about the interviews based on content, time, and how the flow of the, the show is going. So that also means that a lot of stuff gets left on the cutting room floor. And we always felt there was a lot of context and, and extra things that they said that would have been so nice to get out to the audience. And for that reason, we decided why not make a little podcast so that you guys can get a little more from these different folks that we met that week. So here we'll feature different individual interviews from some of the people that we talked to so you can get to know them better, get to know their organizations a little better, maybe join one of the organizations or in some other way get involved. That's our main goal here, to get you guys engaged with the groups and hopefully push them to form more of a coalition so that we can kind of get our numbers up, if you know what I mean. This week, we feature our interview with Momita Ahmed. So Momita got involved first with the Millennials for Bernie group uh, and eventually became a delegate for Bernie uh, at the local uh, DNC in New York, in New York State, and then eventually at the National Convention, which she has plenty of great uh, anecdotes and interesting things to talk about that whole experience. Um so make sure to stay tuned afterwards. I'll be sitting with my producer and co-conspirator, Randy M. Salo, to talk about Mamita's interview and how we can uh, apply some of the things she talks about to our present day. So here we go with Momita Ahmed. Yeah, so I'm Momita. I'm with Millennials for Revolution, which used to be Millennials for Bernie Sanders. And it was um, a grassroots movement to um, organize millennials across the country to go out and door knock, um, phone bank, and then, you know, hopefully make him the nominee for the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. um, even though that didn't happen, we decided to continue the political revolution. So in honor of his revolution, we named our or, uh, movement Millennials for Revolution. And now we're sort of still fighting for the progressive issues that he was talking about during his campaign. But now we're going into a new administration, a new presidency, um, with the same sort of revolutionary spirit to change the Democratic Party from within, um, with lots of millennials engaging in political activism, in resistance, movement building, etc. And why, this is something I've been interested in, is why is it so important that you know, we as millennials identify ourselves as sort of this generation. Why do you think that is so important, especially in a political context? I think it's really important for millennials to embrace their label because I think just 
that label comes with so many stigma slash stereotypes that are hurtful to our generation as a whole. Um, we're constantly told that we're lazy, that we don't work hard, um, we live in our parents' basement, um, you know, and I think that's really hurting our generation, which is one of the most uh, most educated generation in history of this country. And um, we're all very progressive um, in the fact that we believe in climate change and we want to all work together to do something about this like issue that is impacting the entire world, that is that could impact the next generation and the future of our entire generation. So it's important for us to embrace that label and so that people to rec reclaim it from the current um, you know right. conversation kind of put down of it and yes and yeah turn it something positive. Um, uh, to that point I was you, I think you've probably seen this to take this also is that the, I don't want to put out false numbers but that there's definitely a much higher percentage of Millennials that view sort of a socialist and more radical left mm -hmm. uh, ideal in politics than they do the kind of traditional capitalists. What does that say to you as far as going forward with the revolution? Does that, does that give you some hope that there is something to look forward to as far as poli political Absolutely, change? yes. 70% of millennials, according to Pew Research, um, believe in you know the idea of democratic socialism. And I think Bernie's campaign has proved that we really, that is what gets us all hyped up and ready to do the work. Um, so it gives me so much hope, um, especially at this uh, time that we're living in. So um, I, I see like great things happening um, and we're already doing amazing things. Like most of these movements, whether it's the climate change movement or um, I mean the climate movement, Black Lives Matter, no Dapple, uh, Bernie's own political movement is um, led are led by millennials. So, um, yeah. So they're already moving into leadership positions yes. and taking yeah. initiative. Definitely. Yeah. That's great. Um, so let's get into the part that I think is the most interesting, and the reason I really wanted to talk to you guys was this concept of the District 13 House. Can you explain kind of how you guys? I'm assuming it was kind of a brainstorm. Somebody probably had the Eureka moment. Can yeah. you go into a little bit of how you guys yeah. came up Yeah, yeah. Um, so the District 13 house is our resistance house um, against the incoming uh, administration. And um, we came up with the name. We were really inspired by the Hunger Games and Katniss Everdeen and the Mockingjay. Um, the District 13 in the Hunger Games, for if you haven't watched the movie, um, was the district that this uh, secretly um, secretly promoted slash uh, organized the other districts um, and helped them unite against the capital and lead a successful revolution against the capital. And before that, District 13 was sort of that symbol of hope. Um, and so our District 13 is not secret at all. However, we're also planning to organize this resistance against, I guess, the capital, which in this case is the administration that has um, marginalized people like myself um, and the LGBT community, people like myself as in Muslim, the Muslim community, the Latino community, um, Black Lives Matter, etc. So we're organizing, we're hoping that this house will be the place where activists can come in and organize 
um, without worrying about where to live or where to put their stuff down, a safe house where they can have secret co meetings without anyone like interfering with their meetings or shutting it down, etc. Um, and use this space as their own mm -hmm. to build, um, a, you know, resistance and do things. And we don't know, we're still looking into what that is. Yeah. But like, I think the first thing that we need to do is create a space. And that's what the District 13 house is, a, a safe space, point. rallying yeah. point, safe space of this movement. Great. Um, and that kind of brings us to the office we're in now. I don't, you could talk just a little bit about uh, the change to win office building here. And it, the, it has sort of the same the same dynamic as the District 13. Yeah. So you just talk a little bit about yeah. that. Yeah, so Change to Win is this great organization that supports um, progressive movements and a lot of labor activism specifically. And they've generously agreed to um, share their space with us and Give, lend us this like wonderful office space that is empty now, but it will have lots of like resistance um, material all over the uh, walls, etc. Anyways, but the point is like this will be where we operate um, our day-to-day, -day, uh, you know, stuff like organizations, etc. People can come here and they can use this space and around us are all kinds of activist uh, organizations. The Dreamers are in here as well. So this is what they do. They support um, progressive give you guys a communities. Place to yeah. Do the logistics. Right, and it's right by Capitol Hill, so yeah. it's very accessible yeah. to all the places we'll be going and protesting. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, there was another thing I was interested in, just the idea of the house. My second thought was, you know, you hear a lot in the news about Trump supporters like using a lot of forms of intimidation. Was that something that you guys kind of took into? into thought when you guys decided that you were going to move forward with this? And um, has there already been any kind of uh, pushback from those people in any way? Or We have not had a large pushback from that community, although I have had people message me personally on Facebook, you know, anonymously, and threaten, but nothing too direct. Um, but at the same time, that's part of the reason why we've separated. We have an office space and also a house, which, um, you know, is going to be sort of away from all the mm -hmm. hustle and bustle of what's going on. Yeah, so I wanted to also get into the campaign. And the 2016 campaign was, I think, for everybody, regardless of how you felt, uh, Kind of daunting, and I think it really jarred people in a way. And I'm just really curious. So, in a personal level, as a Muslim woman, what was it like to hear these kind of this kind of rhetoric being really normalized by this campaign? And what what did that mean for you and your community? Um, this campaign has definitely taken a toll in my community. I live in the neighborhood that Donald Trump actually grew up in, and it is one of the most diverse neighborhoods that in Queens. And um, unfortunately, like during his presidency, um, our community personally have witnessed deaths um, and uh, hate crimes. 
Um, and, you know, even on a personal level, my mom, who has an accent when she speaks, like, she came home one day and told me that she was walking down the street and this, like, deranged, mentally ill woman told her, for out of nowhere, just was like, Donald Trump is going to throw you out. Just you wait. Your time here is ending. And sounds like, threatened her and just started yelling at her. And she freaked out a little bit. Um, and it was very, to her, it brought back, to our whole family, it brought back uh, memories from 2000. Um, too, and after the Iraq war where it was like a similar sort of like ominous um, uh, feeling that everyone felt in our community. Sure. Yeah. And that's something I think that gets really lost on a lot of sort of Trump supporters is that like, so you guys have a very real threat and a very real reason to resist this. Um, is that a lot of the background for the reason why you decided to dive into Bernie and and now with the House and and uh, the Millennials for Evolution? Right. Was that the I wouldn't say the main, but was that kind of the main driving force that that got you interested in in politics? Yeah, as a very at a very young age, I learned that there every everyone and this is that there is this like inequality. Um, within, like, we're not all equals, um, not in the eyes of justice specifically. When I was 12, my dad was arrested. That was a, the stop and frisk era in New York where anyone was just snatched up by the police officers and just interrogated for no reason. And that happened to my family. And because they are immigrants and didn't know how to defend themselves, didn't know their rights, um, it, it was very difficult situation that we were in. It was very traumatizing experience, and I and we had to pay a lot of money mm -hmm. to just um, you know get my dad out of jail. And I learned at such an early age that justice costs money mm -hmm. uh, for certain people, like immigrants. Yeah. And so this this movement means it, it, it does. That is why I do what I do, is because um, I feel obligated to fight for uh, my community, my friends, um, my parents, uh, because we're all Americans. I have a passport, American passport, but for some reason this president doesn't, doesn't want to treat all of us equally. They, you know, he's been talking about how we should be banning Muslims, um, that we should deport people, um, very un-American thing to say, uh, and it's just, it's unbelievable to me because this is a country of immigrants. Um, so I feel like we need to, the fact that we're normalizing him as, a, as president, um, his administration, deeply bothers me. It, um, and, and I feel obligated to fight mm -hmm. and stand with people who are fighting against this. And would you say in your community that there is a real fear, a sense of kind of dread in what's coming? I mean, I, because I'm not so deeply in the community, I'm always curious as to, like, is, is there any sense of that he was just all talk, or is there a sense that this is going to get worse? There, there is a deep sense of fear, absolutely. Mm -hmm. There... Um, they're scared of what's happening, yeah. um, but most people in my community aren't quite sure what to do mm -hmm. about it. Um, but 
they kind of like all of us just kind of it's, holding our yeah and, and right and they uh, like even with my parents who have gone through a lot in their childhood mm-hmm. especially because most of the people that come here are coming from countries that are war torn or fleeing civil war and conflicts etc um, to them to an extent they they're like this isn't the end of the world. And it's funny because they're the ones always telling me to stay hopeful and Mm -hmm. keep fighting um, because they're such resilient people. Um, But there is a sense of fear in our community where whenever there's a hate crime, everyone is like really scared and we're still sort of processing all of it. Mm -hmm. Um, We haven't quite processed it Mm -hmm. properly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, Go back to the the campaign. Then um, you were talking a little bit about when you were a delegate for Bernie. How was how were you at least in in your uh, precinct? How were you received by the the Hillary delegates? <laughs> and how did that kind of all break down? Was there a clear divide during the the primaries? Yeah, yeah, there was such a clear divide, and I mean even in terms of our physical appearance, um, the Bernie delegates like myself were mostly young. And we were very passionate. Like we would come in with signs that said "Free Palestine, No TPP, uh, Free College," and they were like not okay with it. They wanted us to behave, sit down, um, accept the loss, mm-hmm. start chanting "I'm with her." Um, they didn't understand what our movement was about, and all the issues that we were fighting for, and what that meant. Um, and so a lot of people I spoke with sort of just automatically dismissed me because I was young. And they were like, oh, you're just young. Of course, all the young people love Bernie. Mm-hmm. But let's be practical. Like, the practical answer is Hillary Clinton, that you you should all just shut up and listen and fall in line. And so that was sort of the way we but were treated. Uh, obviously, it wasn't that direct. <laughs> I mean, it was... Oh, it was direct at some points. Like yeah. they, uh, we had as delegates seats, mm-hmm. reserve seats, um, and sometimes they would fill it with random guests, mm-hmm. and we would go in and we would not have seats, and so they wouldn't let us hold up our signs. That wasn't even anti-Hillary; it just said no TPP, mm-hmm. and they wouldn't let us. They would. Um, they tried to threaten to kick some of us out. Um, uh, I mean, Bernie delegates were not treated mm-hmm. very well at the convention, and there was uh, there was a lot of like chanting. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I would assume that would create some animosity that it then filters down to all the smaller organizations. Is that kind of what happened? Like, because I know for me, looking at it from the out, a little bit of distance, that it seemed to me that that this kind of very clear anti-Bernie sentiment that was coming out of the Clinton campaign yeah. was going to backfire on her at some point. And yeah. I don't know, was it that way that it kind of started coming back down to the just the normal people that were involved in Bernie, uh, uh, Millennials for Bernie and, and those different groups? Or? Yeah, I think they just didn't like that, how we were operating. Mm-hmm. Like, they were more supportive of the establishment type versus we were all about um, people power. Mm-hmm. And there was this clear clash there. Um, and it, yeah, it did to an extent because, I mean, ultimately they didn't want us to be there. That was mm-hmm. the whole atmosphere. Right. But now, obviously, things are changing a little bit. But at that moment, mm-hmm. th- th- there was a clear divide, and it was 
um, it was palpable. <laughs> well, I got caned. Caned? <laughs> yes. This was not at the DNC per se, but mm. before the DNC in, at the New York delegation, um, we were supposed to vote for our um, chair, DNC chair of mm -hmm. New York, which was Andrew Cuomo, the governor. But we were allowed to vote on it, and they totally complete, completely ignored our votes. There was like ha more than half the room who were pushing for a vice co-vice chair. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember they, the people at the days totally ignored us. So me and my friend, um, Nomiki, uh, who's also a delegate, we went to at the front and grabbed the mic and we demanded that they count our votes mm -hmm. and they cut off our mic. And at that point I went around and was rallying people to mm -hmm. come up and raise their hand and be like, you know, why aren't you counting my vote? And someone who wasn't even a delegate, who's a donor, um, just caned me. Like with a cane? Yeah, with a cane. <laughs> so it got very contentious yeah. leading up to the convention. Yeah. Well, and that kind of brings me to my next question is, uh, moving forward, can those divisions and those wounds be healed? Do you think there is a space for progressive politics in the DNC moving forward? I think so. I think it's already happening. There's progressive policies are clearly at the forefront and um, we are winning um, in terms of winning over the base of the Democratic Party, but in terms of the people who are in power now within the Democratic Party, um, they need to go. The, that our, our conflict is with them, not the people who voted for Hillary Clinton or the people who vote Democrat. Our conflict is with the establishment Democrats who are in power now, who take money from Wall Street and corporations and ignore their base, the working class young people slash working class old people, just working class people. Mm -hmm. So that's who our beef is with. It's right. not with the, you know, so. What specific, like, <clears throat> platform changes or things would you like to see happen moving forward in, in the DNC? We would like the DNC to support single pair. We would like the DNC to uh, make college free, push for a free college tuition. Um, we would like them to be more proactive in uh, protecting labor and uh, the rights of workers to pass a nationwide minimum wage, um, to do a better job of standing up to Republicans um, and try to win over the people that they're winning over with their lies, mm -hmm. etc. Because right. present a real economic package real economic life. package, not just focus on um, social issues, but mm -hmm. understand that economic justice and racial justice and social justice are they all they all go hand in hand, and also take a stronger stand um, on climate change. I think you know it's not enough to just believe that it's happening. Mm -hmm. We have to literally design our policies and enact legislation around climate change mm -hmm. around um, doing something about it, yeah. And uh, so this is sort of a theoretical question, but uh, in the event that, that that doesn't happen, that the DNC doesn't make this kind of radical shift, is it your sense, or at least in your organization, would there be a movement then to break away? Absolutely. I think we're big enough. We're like half the party. Mm -hmm. um, if 
if we don't win, then we're going to start our own party if we have to. But I think right now it makes sense to not, um, to not abandon the working class. Because there are a ton of people like my parents who vote for Democrat, vote Democrat, but they don't understand, they don't really necessarily have understand what the party platform is because I don't think there is really one except they believe like well that's not the racist party yeah. so Unless you're too yeah, yeah yeah but um, we we can't ag- abandon people like that mm-hmm. so it's really important that we work within the Democratic Party now especially since right now Bernie has so much leverage he's like has an 89% approval rating mm-hmm. Um, we have a DNC ch- uh, chair fight happening between right. Keith Ellison and an establishment mm-hmm. Democrat that the DNC has picked, right. etc. So, like, um, there's all these like little proxy wars happening, mm-hmm. <laughs> proxy wars <laughs> within the party. And mm-hmm. so far, we're the ones leading. Bernie is the one who is ho- holding rallies and mm-hmm. fighting for health care, mm-hmm. and you know. Um, standing up and really questioning these cabinet choices at the Senate hearings. Right. So w- we are clearly a very strong um, faction within the Democratic Party right, right now, and we do have a lot of power. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the case that we, you know, doesn't go our way, then that's something we should, we're going to consider for sure. Yeah. So it's still a consideration. It's not something oh, yeah. that you wouldn't consider. Oh, yeah, totally. Do you think Bernie is, I mean, do you get the sense that Bernie himself is there? Because I've been listening to a lot of his interviews since the election, and I get the sense that he's not ready to, to kind of go that far yet. I don't know. what What is your sense of his position so far? I mean, he's not, he's still a Democrat. I mean, he's still an independent. Right. So it's interesting to me that an independent is leading the Democrats right now. So there is that sort of insider-outsider thing, uh, strategy here that's mm-hmm. going, you know, He's you can see. Straddling yeah, straddling, see yeah. Right He's not necessarily committing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we can sort of deduce that he, I don't know if he would be, but his par- party for sure mm-hmm. or his faction um, would consider it. Right. Um, it's a possibility, but I really do have hope that we won't even need to go there because, we, like recently in California, I think half of the people that won local seats were Bernie Kratz. Mm-hmm. So That's we are promising. winning. Yeah. Very promising, yeah. Well, and then there's also, I just got the uh, ping from NPR this morning that it's something like 52 to 54 Democratic congressmen and women are now boycotting inauguration, which I think a couple of weeks ago seemed crazy to right. even consider. So yeah. I think there is definitely something to be said that there is maybe a possibility still within the Democratic Party. Yeah. And you have Chuck Schumer, who's totally corporate, takes yeah. the most money from Wall Street, right. is all of a sudden <laughs> backing our candidates. Right. And um, well, then on the other hand, you have yeah. the whole the pharmaceutical bill that just got yeah. shoved through with a lot of Democratic support, too. So there's, like, kind of a back and forth, I think. There is. But at the same time, when Cory Booker downvoted the bill that you're mm-hmm. talking about, mm-hmm. he was also listed as one of the people that might run for 2020. Right. And the progressive wing of the Democratic Party just, like, no trolled him on yeah. Twitter, on Facebook, everywhere, that even the mainstream media had to question him about it Mm -hmm. and he was just like struggling and that never happens like we are clearly sending a message that we are watching you that Mm -hmm. we are woke and we are paying attention so 
and we're following the money. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> well, I'd definitely say they're under been surveillance. Inspiring me is that yeah. uh, like the kind of younger left is much more aggressive than yeah. than what we grew up with of kind of this hands off sort of liberalism. And, yeah. Uh, we're not having it. We're gonna go straight for the democratic socialism. I know it's hard, but I would like if you could kind of take us through your experience on election night. And were you shocked? Were you? How did it feel to kind of see the dominoes start to fall? Yeah, election my election night was really rough. I was um, shocked, but also really angry at um, the establishment Democrats who led us here, the DNC officials, uh, whose fault it was, who kept telling us that things were okay and kept rejecting um, our uh, suggestions and advice on how like we need to go after progressive issues. You guys need to adopt our platform. Mm -hmm. And they refused and they kept um, pandering to that fear within people, um, fear of Trump and his presidency instead of uh, pushing a positive message that we're going to work towards change and progress. Mm -hmm. And I think I was, in a way, I didn't expect it. And also a part of me was like, there are millions of people in this country, and I do really in the bottom of my heart believe that we're progressive and not everybody is like, is xenophobic or homophobic and etc. And like, I really believe that people would come out, people would understand the, have a sense of urgency. And so I was really upset and angry and horrified and feeling so many things, honestly. Mm -hmm. I was in shock. Right. Um, And that brings me to my next question is, uh, I don't think anybody can argue that the Electoral College really kind of screwed us. In the end, do you think that the Democratic Party would have, would take on trying to reform the Electoral College? And do you think that we need to get rid of the Electoral College in the end? Yeah, I think we need to get rid of the Electoral College and also the superdelegate process, which, you know, a lot of people don't talk about. But in the primaries, that's part of the reason why we didn't have a fair shot. And so anything, any any sort of process that, um, you know, gives a certain amount of people more power over the general public, I think is undemocratic. And as we can see, that's what happened in the general election. She won the popular vote, but he won, Trump won the Electoral College. And I think that's unfair. The Electoral College is a part of a racist institution. Um, So I think we do, um, I don't know about the Democratic Party, but the American public no matter what party you belong in, need to think about getting rid of the Electoral College. Um, and so my last question, there is definitely a resistance movement growing and it's becoming more and more loosely organized. We could say what, in your mind, is the next step? So after the mass demonstrations that we're going to see in the next couple of days, where does it go from there? How do we move forward? I mean, obviously with the House really sets a stage, really gives kind of a forward operating base. Yeah. But in the long run, like, we can only assume that we're going to have to deal with him for four years. What is the next the next step after Inauguration Day? I think the next step is really holding um, Donald Trump accountable. Um, he won this. He, this, is, this was not a normal 
presidency. This is not in no way a normal presidency. He, this guy won um, by talking about banning people and marginalizing people, making fun of disabled reporters and talking about grabbing women by their genitals. Um, this is unacceptable that we have someone like him in office. And so moving forward, we have to make every day, uh, dedicate every day to resisting him and his agenda and what his presidency stands for. And that could mean anything. Um, resistance is really, even if you're just like committing to making sure that you're you're following the news and following everything that's happening. That in itself is resistance. It just shows that you're paying attention and you're, and you're ready to do something when, uh, or you know, um, take action when the time comes, um, etc. That could be resistance in itself. But the idea is like we really from now on be very alert and awake and not take our chances. Not just be like, well, maybe he just said these things. Now he's not actually going to act on it. No, like we really need to pay. Attention attention, start organizing our own communities, our workplaces, um, and stay alert and be ready, be ready. start voting, and start go vote in 2018, go, go vote in 2018. <laughs> yeah. and it's not just about the presidency, right. it's about local elections, right. it's about, um, you know, everything, like, every, yeah. we don't have a lot of time. Right. Yeah. Being complacent is kind of... No, over it's overrated. Like, yeah. that whole, like, rhetoric, like, I don't want to talk about politics. Let's not talk about politics. No. Yeah. This is the time. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you enjoyed our talk with Momita. Uh, I certainly did. She is uh, an impressive young woman. She's still very active and, and uh, pushing the revolution forwards. I'm here now with my partner in crime, Randy M. Salo. How you doing, Randy? Hey, Blake. Good morning. Morning to you. Yeah, it was a good, great, great to listen to that interview again. I mean, we've been editing it for the last four years mm -hmm. uh, since you shot it, and but it's it's so funny to listen to it in in hindsight. You know, like it, yeah, so definitely. many of these interviews are a little bit like, well, Trump's getting inaugurated tomorrow. We don't really know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Maybe There's he's going to like still come around, yeah. you know, and maybe things will not be as bad as we think. And mm -hmm. it's like. Wow! Mm. Did wow! If yeah. we had any idea, then exactly. If I could go back and let him know, if we knew then what we know. I was thinking, right especially now. I think more to the, you know, we'd ask everybody about the relationship with the Democratic Party, and I found her answers in in the rukblik, as we yeah. say, you know, and like the, yeah. in hindsight, really fascinating that there was still at that time this feeling or this notion that progressive, the progressive wing was on the rise, that the progressive wing was, you know taking over yeah and she talks about that like with 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 what's coming with bernie right. and like like them breaking off and and starting their own thing yeah. potentially yeah, and yeah. i mean i would say this is the first interview in the series of the podcast interviews mm. where that's somebody explicitly. sort of positively <laughs> spoke about yeah. like yeah this is something that's very mm. a possibility a very possible yeah. possibility exactly yeah. yeah yeah i mean somebody especially somebody that isn't already in the third party, you know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, I think what you say, like Kashama Sawant wasn't so, was like, you know, I understand if you want to work in that, but I don't, right? Yeah. And I think Mamita, you're right, was the first person to say, hey, if they're not willing to go with the program, then yeah, 
and, and I, I mean, to leave. And Maria was 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 like, yeah, we're totally willing to work within right. the Democratic right. Party, right. but I don't think all the progressives can actually come mm-hmm. together. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think many of them will. And yeah, and yeah. you're right. Momita was, a, and 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 maybe also uh, Brian Jones from the Justice right. Party also was like there on a fact finding mission to figure out if that would be possible, if people would be right. willing, and if there's and, interest. And I think he also, you know, saw like, eh, I don't know if that's yeah. really going to work, even yeah. though we would like it to. Um, and I think that's where our, you know, where the series eventually ends up is there's obviously a groundswell. Like if you just look at the polls, there's an obvious disconnect between what people want and what people are getting. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, there's definitely uh, an interest in something a little more radical, but there still seems to be a hesita- hesitation to say any kind of real organization for a larger coalition. Unfortunately. I, I mean, maybe what's in, what's interesting to talk about to start with is, is in this line of thinking is mm-hmm. where are we now in yeah. the like unification of a progressive side? I mm-hmm. mean, she certainly, uh, I mean, certainly the, the, the blue wave that hit for the 2018, mm-hmm. right. the midterms, midterms, yeah, right, the midterm elections, yeah. um, th- th- you know, th- that certainly you saw a lot of progressive candidates yeah. coming up. And right. Yeah. That's a good point. We shouldn't, uh, discount the victories that did happen yeah. over the last four years. I mean, those are worth noting. And I mean, Bernie certainly was the front runner of the, of the democratic yeah. tickets yeah. until the last second right. when, well, this is like another great example of this, like what the American people say and what actually happens. I mean, all through this hellscape of Trump's thing, Bernie has been the most liked politician in general. Like, yeah. overall, people yeah. like him. Yet, somehow, that's not enough. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was like this year, I think, I I had the feeling that so many people didn't get out the vote for Bernie <clears throat> because, uh, or at least the Bernie supporters certainly mm, did. True. Some of them didn't show up, yeah. apparently. Like, many people didn't come out to, mm-hmm. to vote. But I think the the left side who went for Biden in the end, I think right. there was also, like, this politics of fear, you know, that yeah. they were worried that, well, if we put a socialist in the right. White House, just and people gonna aren't gonna, or, or people aren't going to come out to vote for him in the general, yeah. and yeah. you know Trump's going to beat him, even though his numbers were always better than Trump's yeah. in 2016 and and 2020. Uh, but nevertheless, here we are. Yeah. And, um, but I mean, this is like what you're saying is uh, some of the stuff she talks about in the DNC, some of the things she would like to see reformed, I think was the most telling, like... She was prepared when I asked her, you know, what do you want? What's your demands, right? Because <laughs> yeah. that's something I always is kind of an, not annoying, a little bit annoying when you talk to some people on the left, like, well, what is it you, what's the demand? What do you yeah. want? Yeah. And she was prepared. And, and you go down that list now and you think, oh, mm-hmm. no, Medicare for all, that that's not on the table. Uh, yeah. Free college, free not, college on the table. not on the table. Green New Deal. Yeah. Yes, yeah. no. Yes, no. Good idea, but we're not going to do it. Uh, no. So... Then comes the question, like, as she said, like, if they're not going to play ball, then, and I think, unf- unfortunately, fortunately, the, the way things panned out, yeah, we're in that position again of, like, <laughs> I think Biden knows it, too. The Biden campaign has to know that, too, that he's got us, he's got us pinned at some level, like, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know in, I mean? in this election. Yeah, yeah in this election. In this case. Like, this would not be the one... This is, it wouldn't be the like opportune time for Mamita to to pull rank. Right? Pull rank, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
and to pull our troops out. Um, but that's not to say that it wouldn't be after, depending how things shake out. Like, yeah, I mean, what I would like to say on a on a positive side yeah. is that you know when she described being a delegate mm-hmm. and how little respect mm-hmm. they got mm-hmm. at, even at her local elections yeah. um, in New York. And in the national, of course, um, she got caned by somebody. She got caned by somebody in her in her local, yeah. yeah. And you know, and their seats that were reserved in, and I think it yeah. was in the national. That they, was reported widely that they were like just, given away, yeah, yeah, and they like, had no place to sit and yeah, stuff, and almost forcing Bernie supporters into the hallway and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like we've come a long way, even from that. Like the the you know, she's sort of saying that a lot of people then were like, oh, like kind of you're young, and that's mm-hmm. why you like. Bernie, yeah, but right. but be practical. She kept saying, like, be right, practical and right, stuff. Right, right. And I feel like, although where we are at this moment with the with the Biden um, Harris ticket, we're not where we would want to be. But I feel like all of the country shifted a bit to the left um, during this mm, period. Since then, I don't know. I think that's probably true in the polls, but in the politics, that's not true. Because I would put, I would disagree that. The only reason that it was an, became an issue at the convention and everything last time and not this time was because, you know, the Obamas and whoever else pulls the strings decided that they were gonna shut the primary down before we before the superdelegates could even get become a thing again. Yeah. So they shut it down much earlier, which I mean, from a purely like pragmatic strategic thing was probably smart because like you said then once we get to the place of the convention and now a month you know where we are now a month less than a month away from election day they're not dealing with the things that hillary was dealing with because of the contentiousness yeah. of everything you know? yeah but i mean not to say that you're you are totally right it's, i think bernie coming in the scene freaked a lot of people out it was i think it put i mean it, we did elect a bunch of more progressive yes that's definitely you know, true house. that's what i mean is like i think the people definitely this is the whole thing i think it was romney when during the new uh supreme court appointment made some comment that america is a center right yeah. country which is horseshit no, totally not true don't know where he gets that if you if, if you, you look at to, any poll like yeah. if you believe in science yeah. and look at this the, the statistics yeah like it's just absolutely not true if anything, the United States population is far more to the left than, I mean, from what I from what I can see from the polls, what yeah. people want and what people get is something totally different. And, I mean, to come back to it again, it's that our system is set up that way so that the minority opinion, in this yeah. case, wins out because that's the way it's meant to be. And, but like you said, we did win a lot of seats this last time around, and there's only more seats that are have progressive candidates this time around. And also, the notion of Medicare for all or yeah, single that's single payer healthcare uh, is not a pie back in the then sky was thing. like right. yeah pie in the sky right. socialism. Right. And and even though they still touted that, I mean, a lot of the people that were running on the on the Democratic ticket yeah. to to get the nomination yeah. had that as their right. platform. Yeah, it's just the people that are in now. Don't. You know, yeah. I mean, particularly Biden was one of the few, I would say, that mm-hmm. didn't want a yeah, well, Medicare that's, for all. I mean, that's kind of what, if we're going to fast forward from what Mamita went through to now, I mean, this is another great excuse to bring all these people back for another podcast to, yeah. to find out where everybody fell on the last election. But uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like all, every other candidate besides Joe Biden at least took a yeah position on one 
of the progressive kind of demands that yep. she listed, at least one. Yep. And he was the only one that was a no on everything. Yeah. And he's the candidate. This is what I'm trying to get at, too, is like, we made some progress, but still at a national level, this notion that, you know, things like Medicaid for All or Green New Deal, addressing climate change in some, you know, real form. Yeah. And I would pivot to also then what Amita was saying about millennials, and I think that has improved dramatically, this notion that I think the right still likes to play up this, like, lazy millennial, uh, you know, uber-sensitive when she said that, I Caricature. was thinking, you know, it's not, it's, not, it's only going to be a few years when yeah. the millennials are yeah. uh, are older, right. and you're going to be mean, a bunch of millennial senators, yeah. <laughs> and the people that are complaining about them will be dead. Yeah. you know what I mean. Exactly. So I just, that's I, what I, I always like, think is like, we just wait them out. It's a little bit like eating your words when you <laughs> yeah. when you talk about like the generation under us. You right. know, they're, they're going to yeah. you know you're going to be in a retirement home exactly. when they're deciding yeah. on your social right. security. So let's see what happens in that. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's I mean. The world assuming that the the older right wing voter is somehow using reason when yeah, they talk. That's these right. Things. <laughs> okay, we're giving too much in. But I mean, I would say to the point of that. Since then, like millennials have shown, and even younger, whatever uh, Generation Z, have come out as leaders, like in the best, in the highest sense of the word. I mean, Greta is a icon of yeah. this movement to do something about Greta Van Thunberg. Greta Van Thunberg. Yeah. And she's a, you know, she's a, not even a millennial, right? She's even yeah. younger. Yeah, right. And so I think that has been a huge change is that that bullshit, it just, I think, is ridiculous. Now, even like the it's most... It's the same for the Parkland Yeah, um, exactly. That's what I mean, is those kids, kids you know. and and what you're seeing now with like the Sunrise Coalition, the movement there, those are all millennials. Like she said, it's still true to this day is a lot of the people that were running Bernie's campaign were millennial generation. So I think that's been a, a really big awakening. And then there is one thing I needed to correct. I just remembered too, because uh, we didn't put it in the film, because I remember when we were cutting it into the film, I thought, really? She says that 70% of young people, uh, I think she attributed it to a Pew poll, but uh she misspoke there. We talked about it, and I cleared it up with her that she did misspeak. At the time, it wasn't nearly that high, but since then, it has. Like I looked up, I have the Gallup. What, what was the What was the poll? Yeah, she had mentioned something to the effect of like seventy percent of young people approve of socialism or are uh, what, in favor in of, favor po- have a positive view of socialism. A positive view, yeah. Uh, in fact, I think back then the numbers were higher than they've ever been that was definitely true because gallup is the is the polling uh news organization that's been polling this the longest and they did show like a dramatic rise in interest but they never really went over 50 percent until 2019 and now among millennials and gen zers as they put it um socialism is let me see that right 51 percent no sorry 49 percent capitalism so Basically tied in 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 among that age range, yeah. With, uh, of approve of how they approve of it or view the ideology, right? Which, I mean, I can think of when I was in college and bringing up socialism was like an insane. Like, remember, that, like it was around when Barack Obama was running for president, and the yeah. word still had all of this, like, yeah, yeah, I mean, like the notion that you would even tell somebody that you thought it was a 
an okay thing was crazy. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so in this case, I think we've come we've come, come a, a long, long way. long way. And like, yeah. I think Bernie kind of normalized Absolutely. the idea of yeah. democratic socialism. Yeah. And I mean, uh, and we're sitting in Germany right yeah. now um, recording this podcast, and we experience democratic yeah. socialism every day. Daily. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we have kids in school and mm-hmm. in kindergartens and healthcare and all of these mm-hmm. things that people are, yeah, people yeah. are fighting for in America. And mm-hmm. we see from our perspective, like, hey, this can work, you know? Yeah. I mean, things aren't perfect in Germany either, and there's yeah. a lot of, you know, people that are you know, um, complaining about the system and there's a lot of, there's a, there's a rise in, in, in right wing right. radical radicalism yeah. here as well, but. So you have to be vigilant no matter where you live. Yeah. Even if you have a little bit more progressive government there's like we have gonna here. There's always going to be racism, you know. There's always going to be racism. There's always going to be people, to, you know, trying to, how do you, uh, counter-revolutionaries, so to say. Yeah. That are trying to take us backwards and, yeah, I mean, I would say that's the most frustrating thing about having to kind of just bear witness to what's happening in the U.S. from this perspective is mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be this way, guys, especially, I don't know if we want to date it too much getting into Corona, but yeah, I mean, it's just every day you see the numbers in America just going insane. Yeah. Like they're having another like massive outbreak everywhere. And you just think to yourself, it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be this way. <laughs> These are yep. choices that were made, right? And I think it's hard when you're in America to yeah. to imagine there's another way, you yeah. know. And, and I mean, certainly, you know, the Fox Newses and stuff don't Mm-mm. allow there for to be, an, you know, they're yeah. just like this is your reality, and right. and it, we can't have what they have in Europe. And yeah, uh, we talk about reason this America season, is a uh, special place that can't <laughs> can't handle like a decent quality of life for everybody. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, we talk about it in episode three of the Resistance mm-hmm. series. Uh, briefly, you know, that, you know, Fox News and other right-wing outlets sort of try to criticize this notion that in, like, Denmark being uh, a socialist country and, like, no, it's capitalist. Well, of course, all of these are capitalist Mm -hmm. countries, but they don't have this notion of, like, a free market that can can do whatever it wants. Or just that, like, the individual has some, like that an individual is more important than the whole, yeah. I think is... Or that a corporation is, yeah, is more, more important, important than the exactly. whole. Although yeah. they get away with a lot of dumb Absolutely. shit here. Yeah. Um, there are regulations, you yeah. know, we're not deregulating everything yeah. and letting the banks do whatever exactly. they want. Yeah. And, um, and yeah. And, but that's because in these countries, there is a like substantial uh, opposition party or opposition parties, yeah. you know, that can hold the corporate parties accountable and make these changes and hold them to some kind of regulation. Yep. And, you know, it opens the door to at least have some chance for for these values that we keep talking about to have some place to, a space in the society. Yeah. And in America, it's just like pushed all the way to the side, even though, this is the thing that's always confusing me, even though <laughs> if you just ask somebody without framing it as socialism, right? Like, well, what do you think about people earning more money, most people would say, yeah, people should earn, there should be a higher wages. Yeah. Wages should be higher. It's, there's no reason why we have such low wages. Yeah. Oh, no, then it hurts business. Yeah. Right. Like, Where, when? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, last time I checked, if everybody had more money, they're spending more money. Right. <laughs> I mean, one of the, one of the arguments I think the right uses in the U.S. to like deflect this idea that Europe is some kind of socialist paradise is mm. that like, oh, well, look at their tax rates, right. you know, like, yeah. look at they pay f- 
64% tax in Denmark. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's totally true, actually. Yeah. But the point is, is that in at least in Germany, we do pay higher taxes. Yeah. But you you see the things that yeah. you're getting for that. Yeah. You know, you see where you know where that goes, mm-hmm. and um, I mean that's the problem in America. Uh, I mean, I think. I think the socialist boogeyman and like the tax boogeyman have a yeah. similar thing, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Because we've we were a country that left because we didn't want um, taxation yeah. without representation, and I think to this day, like, well, and then we like spread out west and like lived fairly isolated lives. Like, I mean, I come from the west side, and like a lot of our heritage is these like homesteaders that raise your whole family out in the middle of nowhere. You go into town, you know what I mean? But yeah, it's this very self-sufficient sort of lifestyle and i think that has a lot to do with it too is that you generation after generation of that eventually you get this idea that the government and the tax man are these like foreign you know yeah they're really far away yeah they're, they're far like out the territory they yeah and... like how are they even affecting me right yeah and i think that gets passed down too but now we're getting really into this yeah i mean we're <laughs> getting into the weeds the, yeah, yeah because i mean in america it's such a big and broad place yeah. so how would you do the, the taxes yeah. would have to work at more of a local level and blah exactly. blah blah but yeah. Nevertheless, um, but hey, that's the yeah. thing is, we, you know, there could be a, a really interesting and productive conversation about tax code in America and progressive tax yeah. code. And like, how do we, you know, limit federal taxes while increasing local taxes? Yeah. And then you have more like, you know, this could be a conversation that could be had, but we don't have those conversations. Right. Yeah. And I think I don't know if Mamita brought it up specifically, but. She was saying how millennials are taking leadership positions in all these different movements, right? Yeah. And this made me think of um, just kind of what we talk about in general throughout the project of this single movement organizing. I think Margaret Flowers from Popular Resistance put it that way. This notion that we can have everybody can just like go into their single their single cause and just if everybody pushes their single cause, we'll all eventually, I guess is the idea, we'll all eventually get the causes of... And that this is proven now, I think, definitively not to, to be work. successful. This yeah. doesn't work. Yeah. The siloing of the siloing issue. of issues and everything yeah. and, and making everybody pick a pick a pick an issue, right? Yeah. Like you can't because the reality is that like when we just said, the overarching issue is income equality. <laughs> the overarching issue is civic justice equality you know, equality in front of the law. These are the yeah. basic things that are, you know, when you take them out and we bust them out like we talk about, then then there's all these other, you know, child hunger, uh, mortality rates, all these things yeah. come, stem back from, like, just the fact that inequality in America is obscene, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And somehow vi- inequality is kind of a virtue in America, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that that's we, the, like, corrosive element of this whole thing right. is that, you know the the ability to be super wealthy and super yeah. successful at the expense of other people, right? Uh, and the idea that one person can be super successful, kind of on their own, mm-hmm. without myth, right? yeah, without actually affecting yeah. everything around them is right. yeah, it's a myth, yeah. and it's one that we want to keep making so that we so that we don't feel personal guilt for other people's yeah. plight. Well, and it like excuses yeah, this like false consciousness of people who think oh well they deserve right you know they deserve that money they deserve that lifestyle yeah we shouldn't form a union and complain for better wages because then we're somehow intruding on the ceo's you know what he's earned yeah right 
and it creates this false consciousness. It gives those people an ability to separate us into, well, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about um, gun laws. Let's, yeah. We're only going to talk about climate change. We're only going to talk about whatever it is. Yep. Instead of, you know, when you look back, like we were, like, I think we, or I try to make a point in the series all the time is that what we're seeing is not, not really anything new either. It's just kind of a continuing of the traditions we saw in the 60s and even before that. And I think if you just look back to our recent history, Martin Luther King and, and Malcolm X both were very clear and, you know, wise about the notion that we're not going to get racial equality without some kind of economic inequality. And we're not yeah. going to get that until we stop bombing, you know, places and, and selling bombs, you know, and yep. over you know, with our insane military budgets, we're never going to get any kind of equality, right? All these things are interconnected and it has to be one fight. And I mean, if we want to make a more democratic place, if you want to win in a democracy, you got to have the numbers. And if, as long as we're all spread out, and only offering our voice to these different things instead of all in one unified thing, then we're never going to win, right? That's yeah. And I mean, even in Momita's interview, you hear that like you know, there's the Millennials for Bernie, but then there's also the Workers Family and Workers Party in New York that she's you know. And you just ha- I just think to myself like, but we're all trying to do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> like we're all. So you have like this ragtag bunch of groups, yeah. you know, yeah, like yeah. bootstrapping, Which is fine, but yeah, like. There has to be some way. There has to be some yeah. way, right? So two of the things that um, towards the end of the interview that Momita pointed out that we should get rid of in America mm-hmm. to make mm-hmm. things, to like start leveling the playing field right. um, are getting rid of the superdelegates and the Electoral College. Um, we talked about the Electoral College in the first episode of episode Resistance. One, yeah. um, but um, is there something you can say to you know, to the to the listeners about what the electoral college is for those people that may not understand what that yeah. is? Yeah. So for the Americans that haven't heard enough or learned enough about the electoral college in the last four years, and for our European friends that still aren't clear on it, um, it's basically a system like Mamita says. Uh, it's a leftover system from our super, you know, our racist founding and past. Right. That basically. Instead of every person, every voting age person being able to just vote for president, and that's what counts, and like in most places, uh, they go state by state, and each state is divvied up uh, a certain amount of electors that are called based on the population, which is a reason why the census is such a contested and has become so politicized. And now the Supreme Court has right. allowed the allowed Trump administration to, to stop it. it. Down. Which will have the knockoff effect of, I mean, most analysts have said that it'll be people of color, you know, minority groups, yep. uh, immigrant populations that are going to be undercounted. And this is so important because the Electoral College bases their numbers of electors to these states on the population, right? Right. So a lot of states where you see a lot of immigrant population are going to get now even potentially even less of a say yep. in who gets to be head of the government. Right. right. I mean, it gets really complicated how the numbers are all divvied out because even that's not an uh, like obvious one-to-one, like, oh, they have this many people, they get this. There's a whole math yep. now involved. But, I mean, the example we use in episode one is the difference between a state like Wyoming, which is huge geographically but is really small in population, 
compared to a state like California, which is also huge, but huge population, as big as some countries. Of course, California has more electoral votes, but like per, if you break up the electoral vote per capita, per person, yep. basically a voter in Wyoming would have three more times the weight. Their vote counts as much as three people in California. Right. Which if anybody considers themselves like a small D Democrat, somebody that believes in democratic institutions, democratic values, then that has to be a problem for you. Yeah. Right. This is also like if we talk about current issues, this mm. is also why it's very likely that Trump could win re-election because mm. although Biden is on course to most likely win the popular vote mm. by even a larger margin, margin than Hillary won, um, Trump could still win because of these states yeah. which have more power in the Electoral College. Right. So more rural states like exactly. Montana yeah. um, could swing the vote right. towards Trump. Right. Um, because last they, time it was a state like Michigan or Pennsylvania yeah. that, Sweden, that he only won a handful of these small rural counties, but that was enough yeah. to swing the whole state and then give him all of those electors, right? Right. Which is, at the end of the day, it's bullshit, right? This is yeah. not... A, so now that every... Now all the people in all the cities essentially have to live... With the decision that a few people made, and again, uh, how how can you want a democracy and be okay with that is is a riddle, right? Is a, yep. And but I think uh, also in episode one, Kevin uh, Zies, also from Popular Resistance, talks about, and it's been talked about a lot lately. I noticed yep. that uh, this initiative by different states, that if a majority of states also do it, which is kind of childish. Uh, they will not, they will kind of send all of their electors to whoever won the popular vote nationwide. Yeah. So many, many states have passed le legislation right. um, to be part of a coalition that yeah. agrees that when the popular vote goes to one candidate, yeah. their delegates will put their votes towards that. But it only goes into effect when like a majority of states exactly. have actually so signed into actually, this legislation. They would only actually do that if so many states agreed right. to do it. Right. And if Republican-run states that know they would probably lose yes. uh, <laughs> if this electoral college wouldn't be there, there's no, one, there's no, incentive, there's no incentive for them, for them to do to, that. To, to which do is that. then like this whole other uphill battle of now, okay, you got to get Democratic or, I mean, in, in the current, you know, state, you have to get a Democrat then to head up each state. So then... But it, I think this is the thing that's starting to like eat away at people's faith in the whole system yeah. in America is like, so then I have to go climb this other hill just to get to the place that rectifies this obvious, obvious problem. <laughs> and let's not forget that uh, this week um, the Senate is having a hearing to mm. to replace um, Justice Ginsburg right. with, uh, with um, Judge Amy, Amy Coney Barrett. Yeah. So, and she is um, what what was called an originalist and a textualist, <laughs> most ridiculous thing. which means they interpret the Constitution mm -hmm. is exactly as it was written with with the perspective of the people that wrote it, uh, you know, 300 AKA years ago. slave-holding white dudes. Exactly. Which means any chance that yeah. legislation... Or like that a f court fight would right. come before the Supreme Court about getting rid of the Electoral College right. yeah. would be right. would not 
probably because if you're looking passed. at the Constitution as sort of a time capsule, I guess. A, a, a t- yeah, it's like frozen in time. <laughs> yeah, which it's just difficult for me to imagine because I feel like growing up we were always taught about the Constitution as a living document. I kind of remember that being like a That's phrase, a thing, yeah. right? That was like it's the a phrase, living document, a living yeah. document yeah, because that the... belongs to each generation, right? So this notion of an originalist judge to me seems un-American at some level. Like. The Australian Jim Jeffries said it best in one of his stand-ups. He was like, you, you know, he was like, you know, you go around, you say, you can't change the Constitution. It's <laughs> right. like, yeah, you can. They're called amendments. amendments. <laughs> that's how you change the First, Constitution. First, let's go to the dictionary. Yeah. Look up amendment. <laughs> and that's that's the truth, is yeah. that you can't actually change it. But no. I think there will be a lot of roadblocks when no. it comes to the Electoral College. No. Um, maybe we can pivot now and talk briefly about what this idea of the superdelegates is. Are. Yeah, I mean, this is another great example of why even, you know, you break it down even to another level is the Democratic Party itself is not a democratic institution. Like, when was the last time your local Democratic Party reached out to you as a registered Democrat, Democrats yep. that are listening, and asked them, what do you think we should do? As a, how about you come down to a meeting and, t- and vote and tell us what, this doesn't happen, right? you know? May, for a handful of people, and these are usually like you know professionals that are have something at stake, I guess. Right. Another good reason for all of our friends to go ahead and start going to those meetings, yeah. because you are allowed. Yeah, <laughs> you're allowed to be there. Um. But so the superdelegate idea is essentially, to my mind, like a step past the electoral college idea, which essentially says you don't get to pick. The wise men, wise people, in our opinion, so in this elite class of Democrats, they get to pick, essentially. Because the way the rules are set up is that the superdelegates can override the popular vote. And the superdelegates are individuals who yeah, are just, given yeah. um, some Former kind of... Former presidents, yeah. people that have worked in the right. party forever. Obama is a, is a superdelegate. He's a delegate. You know, Gore's a delegate. Yep. A superdelegate. And who gives these? Who gives this? The uh, the committee. So the the head of the the DNC would. Yeah. The committee would make those decisions. I guess who gets to who gets to wear that mantle. <laughs> yeah, which uh, you know, I mean, th- I mean, I mean, that's, it's so you a little don't even fishy get, you don't right get to vote there, on know? the superdelegate even. Like, like, yeah, I mean, it's a little fishy because yeah. I mean, when the DNC like, I mean, in 2016 it was even worse. Like yeah. they wanted Hillary Clinton to win. Yeah. And the DNC did everything everything they could right. to not let Bernie win. Right. Even well, it was like the whole thing was that she was ahead the whole time because of superdelegates. Yeah. And the, the like inability to acknowledge how undemocratic that is for months and a year, you know, like yep. that didn't help. Right. Uh, which is, again, my point of why I think, you know, the people that make those decisions in the Democratic Party had to have thought, like, we can't drag this out any longer. If we have to go back to another, like, superdelegate discussion, Yeah. this could really <laughs> fuck things up, I think. And Yeah. So, you know, they pulled the Godfather, <laughs> they Michael Corleone, Bernie, and here we are. <laughs> but how could we get rid of the superdelegates? Like, um, I think to get rid of the Electoral College... It would have to be a platform thing. It would have to be something that would happen at the convention. Right. Because it's... Uh, yeah, the Electoral College is such a poll, like, that takes... That would take legislation. Legislation. Um, it would take an amendment that would have to get approved by, what is it, three-fifths of the states. Yep. Which... And then people would probably challenge that in the courts, Absolutely. but that would push that all the way up to the Supreme, Supreme Court, Court, which, which if, 
if we got a bunch of originalists on the yep. on the court, then yeah, then probably gonna get shot down. So we could yep. have like actually, so like that's what's crazy is you could have actually done all the work, all the organizing, all of the phone banking, all of the knocking to get the people in power to that are gonna make the amendment that get that shit actually on the floor, pass it, goes to the states, and then Trump could still fuck us over. Yeah. I mean, even if we had Biden and a Democratic Senate That's and I mean, House. Because Trump, with this new pick, could still just fuck yeah. that up down exactly. the road. <laughs> exactly. For, for the future. Like, even if all of those things are in place, the whole like, country yeah. wants it, there could be one person on the courts yeah. who says no, and nope. then... Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. Mr. Tobacco Plantation owner yeah. guy who signed his name to this thing disagrees. Come on, guys. Be practical. <laughs> be practical, guys. We're supposed to be ruled by dead guys. Yep. By dead slave owners, those are the guys that are supposed to have the right. final say in how we live our lives. Right. It's Nobody true. has the wisdom that they had. Been. No, of course not. They're pseudo. They're like demigods. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit too about her descriptions of because this was something I was interested in when I was when she agreed to do it and I was going to go talk to her was what is it like being a Muslim American right. in in the U.S. right now, and uh, you know her story about her mom being harassed by some random MAGA lady, some Karen mm. before we had the name. Yeah, that was just giving her shit, and um, you know, and the story about her dad when she's a kid, and these things that I think, again, if we're going to talk about some of the progress that's been made, I feel like people are a, a lot more people are woke to these these issues finally. That yeah, you know, you know, people have to live through constant harassment by their neighbors all the time yep. without any protection, right? And only more so now that we have a yeah, white I'm, nationalists in the yeah. White House. And it started with 9-11. That gave yeah, us an excuse exactly, right. to, yeah, to point the finger at all Muslims. Right. And Surveil um, them, monitor them, make their life miserable. Yeah. And then we, we perpetuated war in places where we didn't need to be, which then created terrorist organizations, yeah. which then created more terrorism in Western right. countries. And, yeah. you know, and, then and the still... Pentagon's budget just doubles every year. Yeah. And then we keep pointing the finger at uh, Momita's mom, right. you know, who's yeah. just going grocery shopping exactly. and, you know, trying to take care of her family. Take care of her family, doing her thing. Yeah. Or we stop and frisk, you know, Momita's dad yeah. and hold him. Yeah, I mean, um, in in New York after nine eleven, actually, I mean, they were just rounding up people, mm. Muslim men, just because of their first name or their last name, like Hassan. You should point out, Randy is our our, uh, our native our, New Yorker, so our, New York yeah, expert, our New York yeah. expert, our New York expert. Yeah, might want to fill a little bit of the backstory. So, Randy, did you lived and worked in New York for for a, a bit of time? You were there years. during yep. during nine eleven. Yeah. Sorry, I just wanted to preface it with that. <laughs> yeah, I, I moved to, to New York um, from South Carolina. So mm-hmm. I'm Southern originally, mm-hmm. as you can maybe hear. And then I moved to New York in 2000. Just like So one year after moving to New York, mm-hmm. 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. And I was studying film, and um, because of what was going on in the country in 2003 and with the war and stuff, I started, for my thesis film, I started to write a story about Pakistani family that was affected by these policies that were mm-hmm. happening, and I got a chance to 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 meet some some folks at the council of uh, council for council of Pakistani organization. I think it was called. You know, being being like southern white guy coming to New York, yeah. I didn't experience the things that they were experiencing. Right. But of course, we knew what was going on, and yeah. it was in the news and stuff. And um, and I got to learn from some firsthand folks, mm-hmm. like what 
was happening, and we kind of based the story of this of this little short film on that. And yeah, if you if your name was Hassan, you know, like you were just rounded up in the middle of the night without you Gestapo know style. no yeah Gestapo style totally. And uh, yeah, this was a crazy time. You know, the ACLU was really busy. And these are like naturalized citizens, right? Many, Mostly. yeah, or some, at least some like, visa holders yeah, right, and stuff. Like, We're not yeah. talking about like, not like illegal immigrants, no, which like, it's still not cool to just. But yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, and I mean, what good did that do? Yeah. We didn't prevent any terrorist yeah. attacks, yeah. and um, and 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 you know, it, it's kind of worth pointing out again, like because I feel like we always need to point this out. There have been very, very few terrorist attacks <laughs> in America yeah. that were caused by right. Muslims. Yeah. The majority have been yeah. white people, right. white Christians yeah. have been perpetrating terrorism. With AR-15s. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and I guess they do it as a right, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, speaking of the guns, the Kyle, the guy that was shooting up protesters yeah. in, um, in Kenosha. Yeah. yeah. Um, the state of Illinois, I think, is where he's from originally. Right, yeah. Just just said, oh, well, we're not going to charge him for any gun violations. Although they the guns were not technically his; they were his parents. Like the parents bought uh-huh. them for him, I think. Uh huh. So he's like not straw man purchase. Yeah, so he's not being charged any, you oh. know, gun violations. <laughs> And in, in, in his home state, he still has like six counts of criminal charges yeah, in, yeah. in in Kenosha, but in Wisconsin, uh, in Wisconsin right? yeah. yeah. But anyway, <laughs> I got uh, sidetracked. But um, that yeah, is I mean, I, I think Momita is the first interview of the podcast series, at least, where we got that that, that perspective, that yeah. Muslim Absolutely. perspective yeah. of like, hey, we're all Americans, you know, mm-hmm. just because you know we're not like a white guy in the South with a pickup truck doesn't mean we're not American. Exactly, and that that to me. I think growing up, especially after 9-11, was like the, like the heartbreaking thing about it, right, is when I was a kid, I remember that was the promise we make to people yep. when they come to America, right, is that yep. you're going to be treated like everyone else. That was the whole idea. I think this is kind of what, I mean, radicalized is not the right word, but this is the thing that, like, woke me up mm-hmm. politically was this yep. event, you know, like 9-11, and same i think and that's what was happening, for a lot of us <laughs> what was happening to people yeah. around me in totally. new york you know and and it was clear that it was like overstepping mm-hmm. anything that really needed to be done and i mean of course the whole you know reason to invade iraq yeah knowing that it had nothing to do with weapons of mass destruction mm-hmm. and stuff it was just or 911 or 911 <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean the hypocrisy behind all of that i think yeah. that's what started me yeah. on that journey well, and I, yeah, I mean, it's probably a subjective thing, but I, I feel like what we're, like, Trump was just kind of, the, he's, like, the end result of that spiral that started then. Because, like, if yeah. you, I know it's hard for a lot of us. It's definitely hard for me to, like, remember back before 9-11 and how things were. I think we were all in a, like, I feel like it's like a hibernation. A yeah, it was all, like, there were problems, but we don't really talk about it clinton was hooking up with the intern yeah that was like like, the biggest scandal right was that he got a blowjob in the oval office that was the biggest problem we had and it seems like such a you know it 9-11 and all the things that happened and now trump it just ripped wide open for all of us especially the younger people yeah that oh right this was all because i was just even thinking about we were from the series we were talking about abraham lincoln and things and just the way that we we would talk about our past, I remember yep. pre nine eleven, was still so sanitized and 
this like uh, mythologized version. Yeah. Compared to what the way we discuss it nowadays, you know. Well, and think of it this way: like f- for for people like us who like grew up, uh, you know, in in that a different America in yeah. a way, um, and then kind of became aware of of the real problems, yeah. you know, during the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. Think of it for the Parkland kids, yeah. the kids that are younger than imagine. us who are still in school yeah. learning yeah. the bullshit, right? They're getting, and then seeing yeah. right. the reality, you right. know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, we didn't even have that chance. No. We just learned it and like, okay, you that's... got the Band-Aid ripped off like yeah. once we decided to invade Iraq and everything. It's just like, oh, yeah. what the... So all that was just bullshit. We're but just they're like it. actually in real time yeah. being seeing told one thing in yeah. school and yeah, right. seeing another. I see what you mean. Yeah, that must be jarring. So no wonder they're in force on the streets. Yeah. You know, unlike we were, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and on the other side, though, I think about you know, people that were involved in, like, the anti-globalization things in the 90s, right? Mm. And what that perspective must be like nowadays, just kind of, like, those are the people I thought about the most, actually, like, people like that that I'd met over the years, like, kind of the elders, put it that way. I don't, no disrespect. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, when Trump won, I that was, like, a clear thought in my head. I can remember just, like, what must, like, this, this guy, Bob, I knew who'd been active since like the 60s you know like these type of people what that must that must be like because you can imagine like when they lost and got and nixon won that must that was a huge punch in the gut you talk about that was huge loss i can't imagine then like you think you've made so much progress right even though you've been like chipping away at it and now this it must have been ugh you know to have been woke to have the blinders off that long yeah, I feel like that must have been a, a rough awakening, but the the part that keeps me going and keeps a lot of people going is that they don't let it stop them. A lot of those people are still yeah still actively involved. They're still running their websites. They're still taking out on the streets. Yeah, the Kevin Zeeses and the Margaret Flowers of the world—they're personal heroes of mine. I mean, they are the people that like. Walk and this progressive walk. wing is growing yeah. and growing, you know, even if it's not fully exactly unified right. in that sense, it's yeah. certainly... So that should be said is after the fact, they just got even more busy, right? And now, if anything, they're seeing the fruits of their labors because the, the numbers of people that are joining these organizations have, are growing massively. Yeah. I mean, that must be at least some, at, at least some, how would you say, a consolation? <laughs> that doesn't yeah. seem like the right word, but... So, yeah, the first step is to get to vote out all of these roadblocks yeah. Yeah, exactly. um, so that real progress can be made. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like we've been saying, there's got to be a strategic approach inside and outside. We can't, uh, we can't just operate the way they want us to operate. We can't stay in the lanes that they want us to stay in if we want to actually like, make any uh, movement on climate change, for example. Yep. It has to be a multi-pronged approach, and luckily we have the numbers and we're all over the place, so... Yeah, let's do this. So, yeah, uh, thanks for the great discussion, Randy. Um, yeah. I think uh, Mamita brought a lot, brought a lot of memories back, and uh, yeah, yeah, opened up a lot of things for us to. I to realize we we tend to like get off on tangents yeah. based on these things, but I think that's like the nature of of it because we've gone through, you know, we've experienced so much in the last four years right. since this time yeah. that I feel like we're just reflecting on it yeah. in these in these moments yeah. when we talk about it. Yeah, so. and Mamita was a great one for bringing a lot of those feelings, I think, back from yeah. what it was like at that time. Like, she really uh, cemented that for me again, like, put me back in that time and place. Absolutely. 
Um, oh, one thing I did want to talk about was um, the house that she mentioned. Ah, that yeah. comes up in the interview, and I should probably clarify that. I just realized. Yeah, the District 13 house. It. Where is that actually? It didn't actually happen. I mean, they got the money together. They were about to to pull the trigger on it, but then the person they were going to rent from, I think, must have figured out or got cold feet about having a Socialist. activist's house. Yeah. Uh, and so that initiative never did happen. The money eventually went to 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 the organization and has promoted demonstrations since then. Yeah. Uh, but the District 13 house never happened, but there are other other similar initiatives in different cities now, nowadays, okay. where like these organizations have places for people to organize that are coming from out of town, for example. Where was this District 13 house going to be? I, I uh, was that in D.C. or was that yeah, in New Yeah, I mean, York? she never, we didn't do it on the record. She never wanted to, no, it would have been in D.C. It would have been, like, been right in, in the yeah. neighborhood where we were talking yeah. to them. Um, okay. So near Capitol Hill. Okay. Um, that was the idea, right? So it was somewhere right. where they could... Uh, easily organize and then like take a group over to Capitol Hill and like pick it or right. something like that. And they didn't want to publicize it because they right. wanted it to be a safe place exactly. for people to come yeah, yeah. and organize. And yeah. I mean, that was, and you look at it now, I mean, that was probably the safer move in the long run. Yeah. I mean, if you had a house that everybody knew about, that becomes a target. And and I mean, we see how violent exactly. things have become. That's what I mean, so in the long run, maybe it was all for the best. Yeah. But uh, the District 13 thing didn't, didn't end up working out. Yeah, okay. Yeah, thanks for clearing that up. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, yeah, great talk, man. Uh, enjoyed it as always. And, uh, we'll see you next week. See you for next week. Who, who do we have next week? Next week is a controversial one. I think we're going to be listening to my talk with Dr. Jill Stein next oh, week. Okay. So get, get my controversial hat right. on. We have to get some controversy. <laughs> <laughs> great. Thanks a lot, Blake. Thank you, Randy. See you guys next week. The Resistance Companion Podcast is a Stuist Media podcast and is recorded in Munich, Germany. This podcast is produced by myself and Randy M. Salo. Executive producer is Janine Stengel-Lewis. The music for this podcast was composed by Kai Metzner. All of the interviews featured in this podcast were recorded on location in Washington, D.C. by Dennis Provost. The Resistance Companion podcast is part of our larger multimedia project, including a web series which you can watch at vimeo.com slash Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep resisting. <laughs>